Reading from Psalm 34. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Lord, we just again thank you for the privilege of giving praise to you. Lord, it's a marvelous thing. And our words, Lord, are just seem so inadequate to fully express all that you are and all that you have done for us. But I do pray, God, that in this time together, in the testimonies that we'll be hearing, that you would enable um, these three, Lord, to, to speak your praise to your glory. And that we might rejoice, God, in the, in the reality of your work in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, it's Palm Sunday, and as you saw in your, in your bulletins, this is the Sunday when we have set aside just to hear from a few folks that um, are in regular attendance with us about God's work in their lives. Um, and it's a great privilege and joy to our hearts to always be able to do that. This Sunday we'll be hearing from Jack Visuette. Jack and his wife Sue are members here in the church, been here for a while. Um, Jack and Sue used to live in Corpus, as, as I did with my family many years ago. And, um, and so we have that connection, and it'll be great to hear from Jack this morning. He's a doctor in San Antonio. And then I'm not going to give introductions between each testimony, so after Jack's done... Marcel Smith will come up, and Marcel is also from Corpus. Um, she and her husband lived down there for many years. Harry was a geologist um, in Corpus. My dad was a geologist in Corpus, and then they retired up here in Bernie as, as uh, my folks moved up here. And um, um, Harry came to Christ just shortly before he went to be with the Lord, and Marcel's been a part of this fellowship for many years, and I'll be really looking forward to, to hearing from her. 
And last, but certainly not least, is my favorite son-in-law, um, my only son-in-law, who will be also sharing with us. Mark is on staff with us at His Hill, and I just um, have a deep respect and appreciation for him, and glad that he'll be sharing with us also this morning. So we'll turn it over, and Jack, thank you. Am I on? For those that don't know me, my name is Jack Bijouet, and uh, I'd just like to say that it's really my privilege to be able to share with you this morning my testimony. I would like to begin with prayer, if you would. Father, you are indeed good, and you are faithful, you are just, you are holy. Lord, you are trustworthy and you are worthy of all of our glorification. I pray this morning for clarity of thought, for purity of my intentions, and for the confidence that only your spirit can provide in your name. I'm glad you started with the Psalms because I have one to begin with also. Psalm 96 begins with these words. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all people. When believers stand up before a group, as the three of us are doing this morning, in order to tell their God story, I believe we are obeying this command. The truth is, I don't have a dramatic and spectacular story to relate about how I came out of a life of dealing drugs or riding in an outlaw biker gang or anything like that. But just by my saying that illustrates a lot about what my problem was and still too often is. I'm speaking about my great arrogance and my gross underestimation of the exceeding sinfulness of my sin or the holiness of my God. Anytime a lost soul is able to come out of darkness and into the light, it is a miracle. And my salvation is no less important than that of his other sheep. My story begins in that I was not from a broken home, but from a family with two parents who were hardworking and decent by the standards of a society that was itself decent as compared to the present day. Although we were faithful about going to church, it was a denomination that promoted a works-based gospel. But from an early age, I knew of things like God, the Trinity, and Jesus Christ. I believed in God. And indeed, I had an admiration and a superficial love for him. He was fine as long as he didn't get in the way of the things I wanted. As long as he stayed in my church compartment, he was okay. Needless to say, when I left home... To go off to college, I didn't bring that church compartment with me. In college, I partied hard, but I also realized the importance of doing well in school so that I might go on to further education and in the process be successful. Sue, who was my high school sweetheart, followed me to college and was probably my only connection to anything that could be called godly, and she was just as lost as I was. Somehow, 
we managed to stay together, and after college graduation, we're married. That was in 1977. And for the next couple of years, we both worked until we were accepted into graduate education, a master's program for her and dental school for me. In my mind, I had arrived. I would be assured of a prosperous and lucrative career. Life would be great. What need did I have for a savior? I had the peace of the world. Well, with graduation from dental school came the birth of our first son, John. At the same time, I had decided that being a regular dentist would not fulfill me. It would be way too boring. I needed to be an oral and maxillofacial surgeon to have a really exciting career and gain greater respect. So what if it took five more years of training? I needed to reach my fullest, my greatest potential. And all during my training and residency, Sue was raising our son and working full time so that we could still maintain a good lifestyle. And I was a very good resident, giving everything to the residency program. Everything. During this time, my spousal and parenting performance could be summed up in one phrase, total neglect. I was neglecting my marriage and my child. But we finally made it, and in the late 1980s, we moved to Corpus Christi to begin our life in my private practice. By then, I was starting to exhibit some problems with anger, and under the radar, my drinking was starting to increase. At the same time, and in order to establish ourselves in the community, we did what all good people did and joined the Methodist Church. But to me, going to church was still something I did out of obligation, much like I did when I was a kid. Thankfully, God was beginning to pursue my wife. She actually liked fellowshipping with the people at church, and she even joined a community Bible study after being invited by one of our neighbors. That was the same neighbor who had asked her if she'd ever been saved. I remember Sue didn't really know how to respond, and later she came and asked me if I knew what being saved was. Now, you've got to picture this. Two married adults with five university degrees between them looking at each other on the question of salvation and going, I don't know. Well, let me tell you, our God is great. Great. That Christmas of 1989, I received from my wife two very precious gifts, my second son and my first Bible. Well, I began to read that Bible, but I wasn't really getting much out of it. Not until I found this strange character on a local Christian radio station named J. Vernon McGee. I was comfortable with his accent and his down-home way of explaining things. And he was teaching the Bible verse by verse. And truth began to take up residence in my mind and heart. He said things that made sense and lined up with reality. And he said Jesus was God. God in the human flesh. And he said, I was a sinner and needed a savior. And suddenly, the peace of the world that I had always trusted wasn't giving me much comfort. I was beginning to have a curiosity about eternal things, like death and like heaven and like hell. And God was multitasking. 
because at the same time, Sue was doing more Bible study and coming home just joyful. Together, we were seeking to know more about God. About that time, the pastor of the church we attended recommended that I sign up for a long weekend retreat for men only that was described as spiritual. Well, I went to that walk to the Emmaus, and I was impressed at the way laymen were delivering talk after talk to emphasize what Jesus had done in their lives. I came home with a greater desire to learn all I could about Jesus, God, and the Bible. I ravenously began studying scripture, commentaries, and books by people like John MacArthur, McGee, Chuck Swindoll, William MacDonald, Adrian Rogers, and a host of others. Now, I can't tell you the day or the hour that I was saved, that I was born again. Only that it was during this season of my life, around the age of 36 or 37. But I can tell you that when I woke up on January 1st, 1991, after Sue and I had celebrated New Year's Eve the night before with some special friends, I had completely lost my desire for alcohol. Not long after, I came across a verse in Matthew 26, 29, when Jesus, speaking to his apostles, says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day, that day, when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And I thought to myself, yeah, me too. During this same time, God was dealing with and working on Sue through her community Bible studies. She does remember the moment when the Holy Spirit came upon her, convicted her of sin, and led her to turn to Jesus Christ, the only Savior. She just hadn't told me yet. Do you have any idea how great the odds are against someone coming to the Lord after age 18? George Barna has polled believers, and some of his studies show that only 6% of Christians came to faith after age 18. Well, Sue and I were both saved late in life. What a miracle. It never ceases to amaze me. Our lives began to take on a different focus, and I began to appreciate how much God had blessed me. Now, I've never felt called to pastor a church, but God did lay a real burden on my heart. I had two sons who I was responsible for before him. Not that I could save them or make them get saved, but that I needed to be the spiritual head of my household, and I needed to make sure that they would be exposed to God's word and to the things of the Lord. They needed to see their mother and father demonstrate real faith. By that I mean they needed to see that Jesus was real to us, that his words could be trusted, and that his truth lined up with reality. They needed to know that Satan was real and wants to destroy them, and that the world could only offer fleeting happiness, that only a relationship with Jesus could sustain them for eternity. My kids were to be my mission field, and by extension, their friends became part of that mission field. I remember John, my oldest, was in eighth grade. He and his friend Andrew approached me one day and asked if I would lead a young men's Bible study for them. I agreed, and we started the Men's Monday Night Bible Study in 1999. Now, the group of young men <clears throat> that showed up to our house every week was made up of junior high and high school athletes 
who played baseball, basketball, football, soccer, and uh, ran track. Coming straight from practice to our house meant that they arrived starving. This is where Sue stepped in and fixed supper for anywhere, I'm talking about a full meal, anywhere from 7 to 20 plus young men every week. First we would all eat, and then when they were better able to focus, we would teach them God's word. Well, five years later, John graduated and went away to college while his brother, Stephen, who had been in Monday night since the beginning, he and his group of friends continued coming. When Stephen graduated, five more years later, and left for college, we still had a strong group attendance and a desire from those kids to hear what God had to say. We continued for two more years after both of our boys moved away, and then we moved away. Now, please don't think that I'm saying we're somehow special or to be admired for doing this. The amazing thing here is that God could use two wretched sinners like us to accomplish his purpose in the lives of some young men. The miraculous part is God's word, affecting many of those guys, such that Sue and I have received some amazing feedback. We hear from their parents and others how well they're doing. One young man even called us within the last month to say how strong his walk with Christ has become. As a Christian, the Lord has blessed me with many life experiences that have made him very real to me. Not that my life has been a happily ever after fairy tale. Oh, no. My flesh can creep up at a moment's notice, and I'm still quite capable of sinning daily. I have struggles, as I'm sure everyone in this room does. But as a believer, I know that the creator of the universe loved me enough to die for me. Last week, Charlie taught us about Mephibosheth and King David and the ways in which that story is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. How true that is. This crippled man, hiding with no pasture and in great need, expecting death, and yet his king extends to him grace, spares him, and raises him up, even to sit at the king's table. How awesome. As we were leaving the church, I pondered those things. The thought occurred that the first two letters in Mephibosheth are M and E, me. I'd like to close in prayer. Father, I lay these words at your feet in the hopes that they would glorify you. I thank you that you are faithful, Lord that I have two sons that do walk with the Lord and their spouses, Father, and that you have given me a new mission field and soon to be four grandchildren. You are to be trusted, you are faithful, and you are great. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I want to thank all the people who've been praying for me. <laughs> when Charlie asked if I'd share my testimony this morning, I told him right off, I just couldn't. I've never been into public speaking, and I haven't done any at all since I was in a high school speech class, and that was more years ago than I cared to, to tell you. <laughs> but Charlie assured me that I could read my testimony, so that's what I'm doing. 
And I've written several pages of it, but it could, I could actually summarize it in one short sentence. The Lord has led me all the way. There isn't anything dramatic or all that interesting to tell about my life or testimony, but the Lord has brought me through all these decades to an age I never thought I'd live to reach. And I can look back now and see how he has led me so faithfully. He's protected me, provided for me, poured out blessings on me all along the way, and has taken even my many failures and mistakes and worked them together for my good and for his purposes. His ongoing, lifelong purpose for my life has been to eventually conform me to the image of Jesus Christ, one step at a time and one day at a time. To begin at the beginning, I was born and raised not far from here in San Marcos when it was just a small town with a small college. Back then, it was a wonderful place to grow up in. I don't think I'd want to grow up there now. My father taught at the college for a number of years and also had a book business out of our home. My mother was a stay-at-home mom, as most mothers were in the 30s and 40s. We were what you would call a Christian family. And it's interesting that Charlie mentioned the Methodist and Presbyterian churches last week and Jack, the Methodist, this morning, because both have had a part in my testimony. <clears throat> Our fa- <coughs> Pardon me. Our family belonged to the Methodist Church, and my grandparents were Presbyterians. We went to Sunday school and church regularly, but it was more a ritual than anything else. My father sometimes sang in the church choir, but that was about the extent of his religious activity. Mother read Bible stories to my two younger brothers and me and heard our prayers when we went to bed. I don't remember ever hearing the gospel preached in that Methodist church, but our little fifth-grade Sunday school, Miss Hetty Kessler, I can see her yet, she did her best to teach us God's word, and she had us memorize Bible verses. Our reward for memorizing ten verses was one of her hand-crocheted Bible bookmarks, a beautiful little cross done in pastel rainbow colors, and I still treasure mine. My mother's parents were a major spiritual influence in my life when I was growing up. They lived in San Marcos, too, so my brothers and I were able to spend quite a bit of time with them. We went to the Presbyterian Church with them off and on, and I heard more Bible teaching there than in the Methodist Church. My grandfather was one of the elders there, and I remember going with my precious little grandmother when she visited some of the ladies from the church who were sick. And I saw her pray with them, and that made quite an impression on me. She was a great believer in memorizing like Miss Kessler. She had me memorize poems and Bible verses and the names of all the books of the Bible and all the sons of Jacob and the Twelve Apostles and even the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I was especially close to her, and though I didn't really understand yet what it meant to be a believer in Christ or have a personal relationship with him, I knew I wanted what I saw in her. She lived her faith where the rubber meets the road, as J. Vernon McGee liked to say. The first step in my life of faith, a big one, came when I was about 15 years old. 
An older friend of my mother's shared the gospel with her. She helped her see that just being a church member wasn't enough, that she was a sinner, and Jesus Christ had died for her sins and risen again, and she needed to receive him as her Savior, which she did. And in turn, she led me to a saving faith in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So I started learning more about God and his great love for me and the importance of the scriptures in my life. But it was mostly a head knowledge. I was still a baby in the word, as Hebrews 5, 13, and 14 says, needing milk, not solid food, food yet. I continued to live in the flesh, not depending on the life of Christ in me. I didn't understand about that yet or that I couldn't earn or deserve anything from God. I loved him and wanted to please him, but I was trying to do it in my own strength. I was having to learn the hard way that you can't produce the fruit of the Spirit by yourself, no matter how hard you try or how sincere you are. And I thought I had to clean myself up before I could turn back to him every time I slipped and sinned again. It was a long, frustrating time before I finally learned the simple truth of 1 John 1, 9, that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He does the cleaning up. And we were talking about this in Ladies Bible Church just a few weeks ago. I went off to college planning to be a librarian, but my plans changed when I met a young man named Harry Smith. And Charlie's already stolen some of my thunder here. <laughs> he was getting his degree in geology and starting a job in Corpus Christi. We were married in 1956. I thought at the time that Harry was a believer in Christ, but I realized later it was a nominal belief. We had gone to church together and talked about the things of God and prayed together, but he gradually lost interest in, as he became more involved in his work. We lived in Corpus for over 25 years and raised our two children there, a daughter Cheryl and son Stephen. We went to several different Presbyterian churches over the years, depending on what part of town we were living in at the time. But by the time our children were school age, I realized I couldn't stay in a church that taught, among other things, that the account of creation in Genesis was, quote, spiritual truth in story form, unquote, which is what it said in the denominational literature. And the minister we were, of the church we were in at the time told me he didn't believe in the virgin birth. I was stunned, to say the least. I didn't want my children growing up with that type of teaching. Harry had pretty much stopped going to church altogether by then. So the children and I started attending a Bible church I'd learned of, where there was verse-by-verse -verse expository teaching. That church later changed, sadly, when a new pastor came in, but I had become friends there with two older women who mentored me. I went with them to a Bible study group where I started learning so much more about God's word. This was when the truth of 1 John 1, 9 was opened up to me so wonderfully. Other verses and truths that had been just head knowledge for a long time were becoming more meaningful to me by then, too. 
such as how God uses his word to conform us to the image of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3.18, we're told, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. In Romans 12.2, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I learned what it meant that the life of Christ was actually in me, that his life produced the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 2.20 tells us, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved, loved me and gave himself for me. In Romans 6.11 we are to reckon ourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It was wonderful. I couldn't get enough of it. Light obeyed brings more light, my grandmother had said, and light disobeyed brings night. I was becoming more and more open to the light by God's grace, and he was continuing to patiently lead me step by step in my life of faith. After both children had left home, Harry and I decided to move up to the hill country to be near my mother, who was still in San Marcos, and his dad, who was in Wimberley. Our daughter and her husband were in Austin by then. We settled here in Bernie in 1983, when it was still a quaint little village with just one or two traffic lights, and oh, how I miss those days. <laughs> I knew about Bernie Bible Church and felt like I knew Opal and Porter McCall because Harry had known Porter and Corpus Christi, where they were both geologists. So I started coming to this church as soon as we moved here, and I knew right away it was what I'd been looking for in a church for so long. Harry wasn't interested in coming with me, unfortunately. He used to tell me that the church roof would fall in if he came. Well, it did fall in one time. <laughs> when we were meeting in a metal building out on the edge of town. But it wasn't because Harry was coming to church. He wasn't yet. It was the 13 inches of snow we had in January of 1985. He finally did receive Jesus as his Savior not too long before he died in December of 2008. He came to church with me several times while he was still able to get out and around. And he told me later he wished he'd started coming sooner and the roof didn't fall in again. Since then, my church family here has meant even more to me and has enabled me to keep growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All the way, my Savior still leads me day by day and step by step. To him be the glory. Thank you. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Mark Griggs, for those who don't know. Um, I was born and raised in Fredericksburg, Texas, uh, to two loving parents, uh, Regina Griggs and, and David Griggs. Uh, I have four, uh, four sisters, three older and one younger. Um, so me and Audrey are almost opposite in that way. She has three older brothers, and I have three older sisters. Uh, but anyways... <coughs> um, my family started going to uh, Fredericksburg Bible Church 
when I was around seven or eight years old. Um, and uh, I remember that, that back Sunday school classroom um, where that, that Sunday school teacher um, had just simply explained to me that, um, that because God was holy and I knew I wasn't, I couldn't get to heaven. Um, but Jesus died so that I could. Um, and it's, it's a simple, it, was a, it was a simple thing to learn as a seven or eight-year-old kid that, that I couldn't, and I, but, I, but Jesus could. Um, and so it was, you know, looking back, it's a, it's a sweet thing to learn at, a, at such a young age. Uh, and, of course, you know, the Lord's, Lord's been faithful to continue to teach me in that throughout my life. Um, and so uh, in, in, you know, in high school, and uh, in being involved in, in youth group, high school youth group in, in Fredericksburg Bible Church, uh, as well as um, one, of the, one of the teachers from his hill who traveled around and, and spoke at a lot of the youth groups, Dave Tooker, um, the Lord uh, was really starting to, to challenge me um, and, uh, and, and just really, really grow me um, to take that, that young... Um, that young faith and, and take it personally. Um, and uh, in, in 2004, after my 11th grade year in high school, I, I volunteered at His Hill. Uh, my sister, my, one of my older sisters, was a student uh, the previous year, so I would, I would go up and hang out with all the, the cool college kids and play dodgeball, I think. Um, uh, because the you know those college guys they were just they were just so cool you know the high school guys I just wasn't that interested in, in hanging out with um, so that's that's how I first started getting involved in his hill was um, that that summer in 2004 um, and so then coming back finishing high school I I decided to uh, follow. Uh, what my sister did and go to a torchbearer's um, school. Uh, of course, I didn't want to have to come home and do chores on the weekend, so I decided uh, to go to, to Ravencrest, uh, which is in Colorado. Um, and it was, it was a good year. I did learn a lot, probably not as much as I could have, but still nonetheless, it was a, a good, profitable year of uh, just the Lord um, speaking to me in his word um, through, the, through the teachers uh, there at, at Ravencrest. Um, when Charlie had come up to speak at Ravencrest, I had, I had learned that their, their maintenance guy was, was moving on, so maybe, uh, you know, maybe I had a, an opportunity to, to be an intern there. And it did work out, so after, after, a while, after I was at Bible school, I, I came back and I was a maintenance intern uh, for almost two years at, uh, at, at, at his hill. And this is, and at this point is, is one of the, one of the four, four times I, at least I, I want to focus in on when the Lord was really challenging me to not rely on myself. Just like when I was, you know, when I was eight years old in that Sunday school classroom, um, he, he, he challenged me in the circumstances of life um, to either rely on him or to rely on myself. And so after two years of being at the Hill, I was 20. 
uh, almost 21, and pretty comfortable. Um, you know, you get three good meals a day, uh, back when Sheila was cooking, and, uh, you know, good friends and fellowship and just fun that all that you know, community like that can have to offer. Um, but the Lord was, was, wasn't satisfied in me um, relying on those things um, for, for life. And so um, after my time at His Hill, Charlie said, Thank you for your service, but it's time to move on. And uh, that, was, that was uncomfortable. Uh, I liked where I was, and, you know, it, I kind of wanted to stay. I didn't want to move on. Um, but uh, it, was, it was time to move on. So, um, flip the page. <laughs> I uh, worked a couple different jobs. I worked at a state park. I uh, did some construction, and, including working on the, the Bowden's addition. Uh, and so that was fun. <laughs> um, and through a series of events, I, I, I landed in, in Colorado at a guest ranch uh, where I spent uh, two years, I joke, as a, as a summer, uh, as summer staff. Um, so I was there for two summers and, and as well stayed on through the winters. Um, and again, um, I, I had found a, a good little niche there at that guest ranch, um, I was working maintenance, and they, they didn't have a, a head of maintenance, and I really saw I, I could fit in here, you know, I could, I could do a good job, I could save them money and keep the property up, uh, I, I could do this, um, but that's not what the Lord had in mind. Um, he wasn't interested in, in what I could do. Um, and so the, the director there said, again, Mark, we appreciate your time, but it's time to move on. I'm like, oh, man, I just can't get your break. Um, and, uh, and, man, that, that really frustrated me because I, I knew I could do a good job there, and that was, that was someplace I could be needed. Um, but the Lord had, had, had different plans. So I, I made my way back to Texas, and... Uh, Again, after work in construction and some odd jobs, um, I decided it would be, you know, I had the time and the money to volunteer at, at His Hill again, just to be a counselor for the summer camp. I was, you know, I wasn't sure if I was too old at a, at a whopping 24 to be a, to be a counselor. <laughs> but uh, Herb, after, uh, after talking to him, he, he assured me that I wasn't too old to be a counselor. Um, so I, I was just I was a counselor at the summer camp um, then in, in 2011, and uh, and her, uh, Charlie asked me into his office and and asked if if I wanted a, a position uh, there at his hill again, uh, but not just a maintenance position. It was to run the horse program, and I I'm not sure if I laughed out loud, but I definitely <laughs> laughed in my heart because I had very little experiences um, with horses running a horse program was way out of way out of my league I knew I was not qualified for that you know I could work a little construction I could do a little maintenance I could do that but run a horse program was was way out of my league um, but that's where the Lord had me he had me where I knew I couldn't do it but he could 
Um, and so I accepted the position and, uh, and just through training and, and, uh, and learning the horse program, it's been, it's been very good. Um, and I think through, through those things, the Lord um, was, uh, was preparing my heart. Uh, and I, and I, skipped, I skipped something that I definitely need to go back to. Um, in, in these things, uh, really, the, a verse that, that I always like to go back to, Colossians 2.6, is, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And, uh, and it's, that, it's that simple truth I learned um, in that back Sunday school class uh, in that small Fredericksburg church was that I couldn't, I couldn't get to heaven. And, and as the Lord taught, I couldn't live this life, uh, but Jesus could. Um, and so, like I said, these things um, were preparing me as I met Audrey. And we started to get to know each other and date, and there were definitely some ups and downs in the relationship, um, but we uh, eventually married uh, just this last December, uh, December 16th. And so in, in that and in the relationship, um, I just continue to remember that, Lord, I can't. Um, I can't be a good husband. Um, I, I, can't, I can't live this life. Um, but but Jesus has come so that he could live in us. Um, and so that's where the Lord has me for now. And so I am excited to see where the Lord uh, continues to take me, uh, not just physically, but in, uh, in my walk with him. So I'll uh, close this in prayer. And Father, we do just uh, thank you for how you work um, in, in ways that we don't, uh, we don't expect, we don't consider ourselves, but Lord, you are good. And so we are thankful for that. Uh, we just pray that we continue to trust you um, in all aspects of our life. And Lord, we uh, are just in awe of, of who you are and um, how you do work. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.